Are you excited to be here this morning? Boy, that was exciting, wasn't it? Hey, I, I really believe when we come to church on Sunday morning and we're going to come as a corporate body into the presence of God, we ought to be excited. There should be a dynamic that fills our lives and we ought to be excited about singing and praising God and hearing His Word and all the things that are going on and just to be able to do that together as a body of believers is special. And so we should, we should see that in, a, in an exciting way. I, uh, I have something I want to bring to your attention um, and I th- I'm excited about this. It's going to be what we call a season of Thanksgiving. All November and into the first week of December, we're going to be having a campaign of Thanksgiving here at, at uh, Brentwood Bible Fellowship, and I want all of you to be involved in it. You know, we live in a world today where we are negative and critical, and we critique all kinds of things, don't we? We a lot of you will go home today and critique my message. Uh, we can treat each other. We can critique our music. We can treat, critique, whew, that's a bad word, isn't it? Uh, just a lot of things. And so often we're not thankful enough. We don't stop to say, wow, thank you. Thank you to God continuously for the things that he does. Thank you to one another. And so I'm hoping that through this uh, this month, that's coming up, that it will be a time of thanksgiving. One of the things that, that I've asked a person to do is build a tree back here. And we're going to have a tree that is going to be bare-limbed, but we're going to have leaves to put on it. And every day, every Sunday when you come in, I want you to write one thing on a leaf and hang it up there. By the end of the November, we should have a tree that's full of leaves, shouldn't we? And uh, all kinds of things that we're thankful for. I think that's important. I am going to ask you in the morning... When you get up, to write uh, something about a praise, we'll give you some stuff to work with and the things to do, and just praise in the morning, a praise to God. And then every evening when you go to bed or before you go to bed, sit down and write one thing about that day you're thankful for. You know, begin to think in terms of thanksgiving. Uh, if you have your programs, there is a, a little insert in there I want you to look at. It's called The Season of Thanksgiving. Just to give you an idea of where we're going, it is a campaign, uh, an attitude of thankfulness from November 3rd through December 8th. Uh, messages are all going to be based on Thanksgiving. What does it mean to be thankful? What does it mean to thank others? And how can I do that effectively? We're going to talk about that. We're going to have fall home groups And I would hope all of you would be in a home group. And that means we're probably going to need a few more homes to meet in, as well as some leaders, some facilitators. We're going to give you some questions. But if you have this little uh, card right here, you'll see that this is about fall home groups. And what we want to do is have probably about eight adults. You can have your kids there. And you get together and have a a potluck or whatever you decide based on that first night. uh, How you're going to split it up and who's going to be doing it and uh, the different things like that. So uh, maybe you'll just say, well, we're not going to have a full potluck, but we will have a dessert or we'll have cookies or we'll have whatever. Something to share about or share with. Uh, We want your name on here, a phone number so we can contact you, your email, your family size so we know approximately how many people will be coming in that family. And then what day you're available, Uh, whether it's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and on through the week. And whether you prefer an early evening group or a midday group. Uh, But we want you to be involved in one. 
so that you can encourage one another in your thanksgiving. I, I, I think that is so important. And so uh, I would love to see 100% of our church signed up in small groups, fall groups we're calling them, and uh, so that you can get together with just another group of people and spend some time interacting and giving thanks and sharing about what Thanksgiving is all about. The questions will be based on the message from that Sunday previous to that. November 10th, I mentioned it already, we're going to be having a, a baptismal service. And I encourage you, if you have not been baptized, uh, that you talk to me. We'll get together and we'll just go through what that's about and, and why we would do that. We'll have it right here. And the reason we're having one service is so that everybody can be there. Boy, I think it's so great when you can hear the testimony of new believers or people maybe that have been believers for a long time and they just haven't been baptized. They didn't see the need or didn't understand the need. And so we're going to have a baptism on that Sunday and we'll have everybody meeting together. On the Saturday, November 16th, in lieu of our harvest dinner this year, we're going to be having a Thanksgiving and we're going to entitle it Counting Our Blessings. And uh, it'll be a meal, and we want you to sign up for it. I hope that we have enough room for everybody because it's going to be here, so it's first come, first serve. When we get to sign up back there, be sure to sign up. But we're going to be focusing on Thanksgiving at Brentwood Bible Fellowship. And so want you to come and be part of that. And then on Sunday, December the 8th, it will be the last Sunday, and we will have a Sunday celebration of Thanksgiving and praise that Sunday. It'll be a little different than just a message. And uh, we want you to come. But we're going to make this, it, it's going to be a great month. And I want you to come with a heart of thanksgiving. And I hope if you don't have a heart of thanksgiving right now, that by the end of the month you will. And that will carry on uh, not just for one month, but it will be something that will be implanted in your hearts and your minds for months and years following that. Because I think it's so important that Christians are thankful. Thankful to God, first of all, for the blessings beginning with our salvation, and then thankful to one another. And, you know, maybe you'll even pick up a, a habit of every day or at least once a week, taking one person and say, I'm going to write them a thank you note. I'm going to either do it in snail mail, or I'm going to do it with texting, or however. Don't put it on Facebook unless it's a message to them. You know, I think sometimes we put everything on there and let everybody read it. We don't need to do that. I just, just send it to that person that you're thankful to. Let them know you're thankful. So be aware of that. Beginning in November, we are going to have a, a wonderful month of Thanksgiving. And we really want you all to be uh, a part of that. Are you excited yet? Still didn't get it, did we? Well, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible here this morning, raise your hands, and we will make sure that uh, David gets you a Bible. We have two people that would like Bibles to follow along. Uh, Jonah chapter 2, and at this point, you remember we've been discussing Jonah went through Jonah 1, and Jonah is now in cold water. I'd like to say he's in hot water, but I believe that when he got dumped in the Mediterranean Sea because of his dis, uh, disobedience to God, that it was probably pretty cold. And you remember Jonah was running from God. God had called him to do a special job, go to Nineveh and share the gospel with the people of Nineveh. And 
He didn't do that, and so he hopped on a ship and went the opposite way, and God went after him, and the first thing God did was throw a massive storm at him. Do you know God's still involved with uh, weather today? He still controls the weather, and sometimes I think we forget that. We think that we control it, or what we do controls it, and it's really God who is in control. It doesn't mean that we aren't supposed to be responsible for the world in which we live. God gave us that responsibility uh, as, as an oversight. But God's in control of those things. Threw a massive storm at him, and, and man, the crew was frightened for their lives. <laughs> We're going to go down. And they began to all pray to their own gods, and that didn't help. And then finally the captain came to Jonah, and he said, you got to get and pray to your God. Maybe he'll do better than the rest of them. And they began to ask him who he was. And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew. And he says, I, I believe in the God that created the heaven and the earth, and I'm running from him. And so ultimately they threw him into the sea. You remember that? And uh, a big fish came along and swallowed him up. It says God sent the fish. God sent the storm. God sent the fish. God is in control. And we need to, to get into that. Before you know, before we get into how God or Jonah responded here in the belly of the fish, though, uh, I, I want to share with you why do we get in these circumstances that are so difficult? Because I'm sure Jonah was there in the belly of that fish asking himself, why am I here? What did I do to get here? Listen to, listen to what it says in Jonah chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. It says, they picked Jonah up, they threw him in the sea, and the sea stopped its raging immediately. God appointed, verse 17, a big fish, and it swallowed Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach for three days and three nights, and I'm not sure how comfortable that was. I'm sure he was kind of all mashed up with the other fish that were in there that that fish had been eating, and it was a little bit smelly, and it was probably a little bit disgusting in there, and there was Jonah, and I would expect that he was asking, why am I here? And he knew. He knew why he was there, but why do we go through difficult situations? Why do we go through hard times? And I want to just give you a number of reasons because I think it's important that we understand why we go through some of the things that we go through. And I think number one, the first one I want to give you is poor decision making. It may be decisions that we make or decisions somebody else makes, but we choose to make a decision that's probably outside of the will of God, outside of what the Word of God says we should do, and we pay the consequences as a result of our decisions and some of those consequences don't come into play until years later. But I'll tell you, young people, a lot of times in their late teens, early 20s, make decisions that are outside of that which is good for them. They know better, but they still do it. And those decisions are carried with them for years. Poor decisions are what place us oftentimes in the eye of the storm. Uh, another reason we go through hard times is that we're just simply in a sin-plagued world. Did you ever think about that? <laughs> it isn't anything that I do. It isn't anything that you do. We just live in a world that's imperfect. It started with Satan sinning and bringing, world, uh, bringing sin into the universe, into the creation, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and they brought sin into humanity. Before that time, there weren't any colds. There wasn't any flu. I didn't have to go get a flu shot. There weren't any broken relationships. There weren't financial problems. 
we didn't have our homes deteriorating and having to fix them up and take care of them. There weren't all kinds of problems that we face today. And sometimes it isn't anything that we do. Our bodies just deteriorate as we get older. That's part of living in this world. And so we understand that some of the things that we experience are simply because we live in an imperfect world, a sinful world, because of the sin that came into it at the beginning. Some situations we go through are to keep us humble. You go back, and let me just take you to some verses. 2 Corinthians in the 12th, the 7th through the 10th verses, Paul was talking about his life. And uh, I've talked about this before because it is, uh, it is an issue that I think is, is one that touches my life at times, or Darlene's. It says, uh, Paul was writing, and in verse chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, verse 7, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, he says, because of all the great things I've seen, in keeping from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me. And to keep me from exalting myself. In other words, it keeps me from being proud. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ may dwell in me, and he says in verse 10, therefore I am content with these weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and we need to realize that sometimes the very things we go through are just to keep us from becoming arrogant. Keep us from becoming proud. We have to rely on God. We have to come back to him and put our faith and our trust in him even though we didn't bring it about and God allowed it. And so we see that sometimes the things we go through are to keep us humble. I think another reason that people experience some of these difficulties are for the glory of God. So that as we see God working in a life, uh, God is glorified. We, we give him the honor and all the praise. Chapter 9 of John, it speaks of a, a blind man who was blind from birth, and it says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? And the idea back then, what they believed, was that if you sin, God would punish you, and therefore, when you were going through hard times, you were going through difficulties, you were actually being punished by God. And so they said, well, who sinned that this man's blind? Was it his parents and therefore the man ended up blind? Or was it the man who sinned and now he's blind? But he was blind from birth. There's no way he would have sinned prior to that in such a way that God would have given him this permanent problem. And he said, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind. And Jesus answered, verse 3, It was neither that this man sinned, nor his parents, for it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Nobody had ever healed a person blind before. And all of a sudden, here comes this Jesus, and there's a man blind, and, and his disciples say, Why is he blind? And Jesus said, So that God might be glorified. 
Sometimes we see people that go through struggles and, and you see the peace they have and the contentment they have and, and maybe God intercedes and there's, there's a healing or there's a transition in their life and you go back and say, wow, God was in control of that. Too often we don't give thanks to God. We simply say it's the result of circumstances or it just worked out right or whatever and, and we forget to give thanks. But we should praise God when we see his works being accomplished in the lives of individuals. Uh, There's another reason why you might go through hard times. And that is to to perfect us. To make us the kind of people that God wants us to be. And I'll, I'll get to my passage here in a minute. But in James chapter 1, remember that passage, we really don't even have to go to it. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When you're going through those hardships, when you're going through the struggles that you have, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Because when I go through, God gives me the ability to keep going. Let us... And let endurance have its perfect result that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So sometimes we struggle with them and we say, man, God, why am I going through this? And God says, simply because I want to make you better. I want to enhance your faith. It's what I call faith builders. And and boy, it's a struggle. But God's there. And he takes us through it. And he builds our faith through those things. There's another reason why, and that is simply to test us. In fact, uh, if we go back to the book of Job in chapter 1, it's, it's interesting because Satan came to, to God. He was there with the rest of the angels, and it says he was coming through. They were lined up and uh, reporting to the Father, and Satan came in, and he'd been going to and fro from the earth and um, checking things out, and and there was this man, Job, and and God asked Satan if he had checked out Job, if he had seen what he was like, because here was a man who honored God with his life, and Job says, just give me a chance at him. In uh, Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6 through 12, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, and where, where do you come, or from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord, and he said, well, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Have you checked him out? For there's no one like him on the earth, a, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased his land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that is he has is in your power. Only do not put your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. It was a testing God doesn't cause us to sin, but he does allow testing to come along. 
And somehow, how do we respond to it? And, and if you read the story of Job, you find how Job responded in such a positive way to God. And so there is that testing that will bring glory to God because of how we respond. There's one final thing that I want to mention this morning, and that has to do with discipline. And that's what we're looking at with Jonah, I believe. In Hebrews chapter 12, the, the 12th chapter of Hebrews, in the 5th through the 7th verses, it says, Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Discipline is not so much punishment as it is teaching. It's, it's getting us back on the right track. It's moving us where we ought to be. He says, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom he loves, the Lord disciplines. And he scourges every son whom he received. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. And, and so it's the idea that, you know, if you as a parent have a child and they are disobedient and they're not going and doing what they're supposed to do, parents normally not just punish. Punishment is a judgment. But they discipline to teach, to change, to transform, to bring them along where they should be. If you out of your anger are punishing, wow, God never does that to us. He doesn't respond in anger. In fact, in the Bible it says when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. They're gone. They're done. But there is a disciplining. There is a point of bringing us back in relationship to where God wants us to be. And I, I think that is so important that we understand that. So as we come to Jonah, I want to read chapter 2 for you. And we're going to hit it very quickly this morning. I see the time's already going. But uh, I, I want to read it quickly for you and then just come back and look at some of the principles that we find here in Jonah's life while he was there in the belly of that big fish. Whatever kind of sea monster it was, it could have been a whale. Some people think a sperm whale. Some people think maybe a whale shark. <clears throat> or it may be just something that God prepared. We don't know. It says God sent the fish, and he prepared that fish for that purpose and so it may be something that we have no idea what it was. But in Jonah chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. And I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, from, it really is kind of, it says, the place of the dead, but it was, it was like the place of the dead. There are those that believe Jonah was actually dead in the belly of the fish, and then God brought him back to life. There was a resurrection. I tend to believe that Jonah was down there thinking about what he had done. And uh, if I'm dead, I'm not thinking about it very much. But I, I think he was thinking about it and probably praying. And he said, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All of your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Oh, water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. You know, that's why I quit baptizing at Contraloma. 
because I baptized the last time there and people came up and the weeds were wrapped around their head and, and I thought we're not doing that anymore because people were a little uh, not happy with that. So here Jonah is and he said, the weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But God, you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. And while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed. I will pay salvation. I will, let me go back, verse 9. I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. This may be the most important verse in all of the book of Jonah. Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation comes from nobody else. It comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited me up onto dry land. And that's why we have our title this morning, The Big Burp. So uh, when I looked at this, I I began to think about what caused Jonah to be where he was, to experience the things he was experiencing. And the first thing I want you to realize, according to verse 7, it says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Uh, You know what that tells me? He'd forgotten God. He was simply living his life according to his will, according to his desires, and God wasn't important. And that happens so to so many people. We come down church on Sunday, and we go, wow. We just praise you, Lord. We are so thankful for you. And then we go to work the next day and we don't involve God in our work at all. We've forgotten him. We we have removed him from his place of importance in our lives. Forgotten God. When, When do we reach out to God? When do we find that we pray to God most effectively? So while everything is going good, The job's just right, the money's coming in, the home's good, the family's good. Is that when we're going, oh, Lord, this is so great? Well, if you're right with the Lord, you do. But you know when I find myself praying a lot of times? It's when things are bad. That's exactly right. Things aren't going the way I would want them to. They're not going the way I expected them to. And that's kind of what Jonah did. He, He was down in the belly of the fish, and all of a sudden it says he remembered God because he had forgotten God. That was the pattern of Israel. Do you realize that? If you go back to Nehemiah 9, I'm not going to read that passage this morning by, uh, as a result of our time. But the nation of Israel was in slavery. They were crying to God. They cried out. He heard their cry. He came and removed them from the nation of Egypt. And he took them across the Red Sea. And it wasn't long. He gave them manna. He gave them food to eat, water to drink. And it wasn't long before they were grumbling and complaining. In fact, they became so unhappy with him, they built a golden calf that was an idol and said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They ran into problems again, and what did they do? They cried out to God. God remembered them. God didn't forget them. They went into the land, and it wasn't long after they were in the land that God gave them that they began to turn away from the things of God But God never forgot them, even though they forgot him. And there was that pattern. It was a pattern of blessing. And then there would be disobedience, and they would cry to help for God because life was not good, and God would deliver them. He would bless them. 
and they'd move into disobedience again. And it's kind of that way in the lives that we live at times. God blesses us, and we're so busy, you know, as, as individuals or as a nation, and we're so happy with life and living our life that we forget who blessed us to begin with. And we need to come back to praise Him, and we need to come back to worship Him, and we need to give thanks to Him. I, I, I think of America, and I think of the pattern of the United States and what has happened here. And, and you know, I'll go back to the beginning of the, the last century, World War I, and, and God brought us through World War I. Things were tough. They were hard. But a lot of Americans really turned to God. They were focusing on Him. They went through the Depression, and again, uh, they were crying out to God, World War II. We came out of World War II as an amazing nation, a leader of nations. And back in the early 50s, we were really focused as a nation on God. There was an important part of our our life. You know, in, in our coinage, it says... In God we trust. That became kind of the motto. In 1864, civil war was going on, and the first coin, a two-cent piece, was emblo- uh, it, on it was placed the words, In God we trust. The North was, was putting their faith in God. In God we trust. And more, number, more money came in. By 1955, Dwight Eisenhower was president. He'd been general during World War II. He was now president. 1955, the Senate, the House got together and they said, man, God is the one who's brought us through. And they put on our paper money. So all of our money following that time had, in God we trust. 1957 on. That's not that long ago, folks. But that was a point where our nation, our Senate, our House of Representatives said, it's important that we make this statement. 19, what was that, 56? I remember when it was taking place, 1954. House and the Senate made a declaration that in the uh, flag salute, one nation under God. Do you see where we were just a little more than a half a century ago? That was coming out of our political leaders. Today, uh, God is no longer the focus. Our last president simply said we are a post-Christian generation. We are no longer a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. The priorities of Christianity are no longer the priorities that they once were. We look at a nation today that is struggling for hope. Uh, there is a real evidence of a lack of hope in our, in our nation. You know, uh, the Center for Disease Control just came out with a statement and I, I think it really shows us where at least the young people, if not all, uh, the nation is today. Up until about 2007, um, suicide rate was just plateaued. Every year was about the same. From 2007 to 2006, uh, 2000. 17, there was an increase uh, of suicide in the age of people 10 to 24, an increase by 56%. That's a generation of people that are struggling. That's a generation of people who have little hope. 
for the future. They don't see a whole lot of hope in their, in their nation. Um, 2007 to 2013, there was an increase annually of 3%. Up to that point, there hadn't been any increase. But 2007 to 2013, a 3% increase annually. 2014 to 2017, the increase has been about 7% per year. The percentage has not gone up. It is continuing to climb. That is, uh, people that have very little hope in the future, that's our young people. Homicides for youth 10 to 24 has risen by 18% by, from 2014 to 2017. Suicides in the United States. People that uh, are most without hope, most depressed, most without hope, are, uh, are men. During that time, this includes all population gener- uh, generally. For every one woman that commits suicide, 3.4 men do. Because they're not sure what's going to happen, where they're going. There isn't any hope. Do you know what? God has been and is being removed from our society and culture. LGBT has a much higher suicide rate than the general population. Uh, I was listening to a video the other day as I was looking up some of this information on the web, and there was a video of one of the candidates for president. And they were saying, what are you going to do for the LGBT community because the suicide rate is going up so high among the young people? And she says, well, I'll tell you what I'll do in a minute, but I'll tell you how it's going to change. Mike Pence will no longer be in the White House if I'm president. Do you know what she's saying? Do you understand it? Christianity is the problem. Why do we have... So much depression. Why do we have this? You know, young people look at the world today and they say, what hope do I have? Uh, They're not sure that if they go to college, they're going to come out and have a job. Although job rate is is really good right now, they're not sure that they'll have a job in their field or how long it will last. Will there be some job security? They're not sure about relationships. We put faith in relationships, and yet so many of them break up, and they're devastating when they break up. Our families struggle. And they look at the world today and say, it's not worth it. Why do we find ourselves in those situations And oftentimes, I think it's simply we've forgotten God. He's no longer the focus that he should be. And no longer the focus in our society. Jonah had forgotten God. I think another thing he did was he ceased to pray. It says, verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. There is, I remembered him, and my prayer came to you. You know, we talked about, when do you remember to pray? Boy, it's when we're going down. I I bet Jonah was praying before he hit the water. I would have been. 
you know, throw me overboard, you know. And I don't think Jonah went into a great theological prayer either or some acrostic. He didn't sit up there as he was flying through the air and go, Acts, A, adoration. Let me think about this, Lord. I just want to praise you for a little while. And uh, confession, <laughs> man, you know how much I've messed up, Lord, and how tough it is and how, how, how I haven't followed you and I didn't want to do what you want. Confession, thanksgiving. Oh, Lord. I just have so much to be thankful for. Let me count my blessings a minute. Boy, by this time he's about 20 feet under, isn't he? And, and, and then supplication. Well, Lord, save me. <laughs> I think what Jonah did was when he flew over the, uh, the rail of that ship, went, help, Lord. And God knows our heart. And God knows our need. And that's all we have to do at time is just say, wow. I believe prayer is one key to remaining in God's will and experiencing peace and blessing. And if there's no prayer, boy, we don't have it. Communication is key to relationships. We hear people say as Christians, well, well, I'm not in a religion, I'm in a relationship. Relationships don't work without communication. And that means we have to spend time with God in prayer. Here I am. These, uh, I just want to praise you. I, I want to thank you. I, I want to say this is where I am and I need your help. Because without prayer, we have no relationship. What happened in 2007? Anybody know the big event in America that happened in 2007 that changed our culture? Anybody know what it is? Apple came out with the iPhone. How many of you have a smartphone? How many of you know your phone isn't very smart? Mine's messing me up all the time. I think that's the guy that works it. Smartphones. How often do we see people walking down the street? In a lot of ways, we've lost our relationships. We communicate through texting, through email, through Facebook. And we have less communication through verbal, face-to-face conversation. Changes us. Prayer, communication is so important to relationships. You know, I, I talked about God leaving America, not being the focal part of America, but I also believe just relationships from 2007 on have totally affected our nation goes on and said, Jonah had believed a lie. Verse 8, those who record feign idols. <laughs> idols can't do anything. They can't even move unless you pick them up and move them. They have no power. Those who regard these vain idols forget, forsake their, their faithfulness. And I just talked about some of the world's lies. We believe that if I just get in the right relationship with the right person, it'll be okay. But boy, if, the dev- if, it, if there's a breakup, it's devastating. We think if I just get in the right vocation, that'll take care of my life, and it doesn't last oftentimes. Finances aren't enough. Retirement fund doesn't carry me through. Social Security may disappear. And those are kind of some of our gods today. And we put our faith in those things, and they don't last. And then... The ninth, in chapter, verse 9, it says, Jonah failed to honor God. Listen to it. 
He says, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving that which I have vowed I will pay. Boy, he hadn't been doing that. Is it possible to remember God and not honor him? Yeah. I think a lot of Christians today will tell you they're a Christian. They're going to tell you they have that relationship with God, but they don't honor him by their lives because they make all kinds of choices that are outside of the will of God. We fail to understand what that means. We, do, we profess to be believers, but it doesn't change who we are. There needs to be a change because of our relationship. Jonah forgot God. He ceased to pray humanistically. He believed that he could make better choices than God could. He failed to honor him and worship him. He failed to live in obedience. In reality, I think he just lacked love for God. He didn't love God. But you know something? This is, this is the amazing thing to me about God. God didn't give up on Jonah. And God doesn't give up on you, and God doesn't give up on me. It doesn't matter where we are or what we've done. God's still there. He got Jonah's attention. He sent him a storm. He sent him (laughs) uh, for a cold swim, and he sent a big fish. And he said, Jonah, I want you to know I'm looking. I'm here. I'm chasing you. I'm with you. God didn't give up. And look at Jonah's response response to God from that big fish. Number one, (laughs) he cried out in prayer. Verse One, it says, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. He he didn't hold against me the fact I was running from. It says, he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol, and he heard my voice. And the first thing we need to do when we come to God is we need to admit our need, admit that we cannot do everything on our own. In verses 3 and 4, it, Jonas realized he, he couldn't handle his life without God. It says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. I was no longer in control. The current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. They're yours, Lord, and I was caught up in this. And so I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. I'm going to look back to you, God, because you're the only one that can get me out of this. And so you ask for forgiveness, and it was a cry of faith. In verse 4 and 7, it says, So I said, when I had been expelled from your sight, nevertheless, I will look again to your holy temple. Down in verse 7, it says, And while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple where you are. I wouldn't believe Jonah, being a good prophet, understood the Bible. He understood the scriptures that they had, and he probably thought back to the promise that God had given to Solomon. You go back to Second Chronicles and the seventh chapter, and it was when the temple had been built. And God made this promise to Solomon. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night, and he said to him, I have heard your prayer, and I have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, listen to verse 4, 14, and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven 
will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God's promise is still true today. We think about where we are as people and we think of where we are as a nation and as if we simply turn to God, he's still there listening. He hasn't disappeared. He allows a lot of our circumstances to take place to get our attention. And when he gets our attention, then we need to turn to him and ask forgiveness for our sins and cry out in faith that he would remember us and care for us. And so I think of Jonah and in his faith, he turned to God. And we come down to verses 9 and 10 of, of this chapter. Chapter 2. And it says, I will sacrifice to him with a voice of thanksgiving. I will praise him. I will worship him. That which I avowed, I will pay. And then he made this amazing statement. He says, salvation is from the Lord. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about your eternal salvation. Without God, there is no hope. Did you realize that? There is no eternal hope without God. If we do not have that relationship, if we have not come to him and committed our lives to him, we don't have salvation for it's from God and God alone. It's God's grace. In spite of how we've lived and what we've done, it's God's grace. And we're saved past, present, and future when we come in faith to him. For by grace we are saved through faith. Saved by grace through faith. That's our eternal salvation. But there's also that point where we're going through the depths. When we're like Joni in the, in the pit. When it doesn't seem like anything's going right and everything's wrong. And we come and we say, Lord, here I am. I need your help. And he says, I'll give you peace. Some of the things you're riding through, I'll ride through them with you. I'll comfort you. I'm not going to promise I'm going to change everything, but I am promising I will be with you, and I am promising I'll give you peace. And it says that fish took him and burped him up on the dry land. God saved Jonah from what we would have considered an impossible situation. Uh, do parents still give kids time out? Some of the younger ones are going, yeah. Do you want to know what? Jonah's time out was over. He'd been put in his closet. He'd been put down there in the belly of that fish for three days, and now it was over. Next week, we're going to see something. In fact, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. And once again, God called him to do the very same thing. Jonah, you went all through that for nothing. What a foolish thing. Why did you just listen to God in the first place? Parents have kids. You know, if your child dis disobeys and doesn't do something and you discipline them as a result of that, don't let them out of doing what they were supposed to in the first place. Because they don't learn. They just think they'll get away with it. We're responsible for proper discipline for our children. God disciplines us so that we will learn to follow and obey. Salvation comes from God. And let me tell you something. When things get rough, don't quit. Turn to the Lord. 
Let me read a poem in closing and then say something. It says, when things go wrong, and they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high. Ever feel that one? And as you want to smile, but you have to sigh, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about that when we might have won had we stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned upside down. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. I'm sure Jonah in the belly of that fish was ready to give up. It's, it, it's all over. I'm done. But it says, so stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. It's when things seem worst that you turn to God. And he hears your cry. And he responds to meet the needs of your life according to his will. Let's pray. Father, might we learn the lesson of Jonah without having to go in the big fish or whatever else it might be that we would have to go through. Might we understand how much you love us just like you love Jonah. But not only did you love Jonah, you loved the Ninevites who Jonah hated. Father, we need to learn to love the people you hate or that, that we hate and you love. Father, help us to have the love of Jesus Christ in us. Help us to learn from Jonah that we would not forget you, that we would not cease to pray, that we would turn away from your will. Help us not to do that, Father, but yet rather to build that relationship with you through communication, to always make you preeminent in our lives, no matter what decision we're making, whether it has to do with the church or has to do with our business or has to do with our home or our family or whatever it is, Father. Might you be preeminent in all things. Might our decision making be in keeping with that that brings you honor and according to your will. Thank you, Father, for your compassion. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you never give up on us, even though we sometimes seem to forgive up on, give up on you. You're awesome, Father, and we are privileged to be part of your family. Praise you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, shall we?